One of my assignments was to interview the ROTC team at my college. I went to interview them and they invited me to this barbecue and they're like, yeah, it's totally easy. You just show up in the morning, we road march. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson and I am so glad you're able to join us. She is passionate about marketing, branding, and writing, and also has a little passion for the military since she was a member of the armed forces. Ladies and gentlemen, the CEO of Kaylin Marie, Miss Kaylin Smith. Kaylin is her name, and this is her revelation. Hi, thank you so much for having me on today. Ah, no problem, no problem. So I, I normally like to get to know the, well, the saying is the man behind, the, but in this case, the, <laughs> the woman behind the. So I like to normally get to know the woman behind all the businesses and 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 journeys. So mm-hmm. I see that you are in the Phoenix area. Is that correct? Yes, I am now. Mm-hmm. And you. Okay. All right. Uh, and uh, where did you originally uh, grow up? Where did you, where were you born? Where were you reared? I was born in <laughs> the tiny estate, uh, Rhode Island. I was born in Providence and I grew up there until I was 19 and then I moved away and I have been living in different states since then. And yeah, that would make sense considering that you were in the military then, after then, I should say. So, yeah, I can understand yeah. that. East Coast roots. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, so describe how uh, growing up in the East Coast was for you. Um, for me, my background is um, maybe a little different. I um, grew up, it's, I don't know if you've ever been, I don't know if you've been to Rhode Island before. A lot of people haven't. Um, unless they're Navy, then they have. <laughs> but um, it's pretty rural and, but it's near so many big cities that I, we like to think that we're a big city, but we're really not. Um, so we're near Boston, we're near New York, we're near Hartford, Connecticut. So we have like a lot of urban areas close by and we plenty of places to get in trouble as a teenager. And so it was fun. I mean, you can go to the beach and then go out downtown, you know, and this, there's just, there's a lot of options of things to do. Um, even in the winter. And so um, I enjoyed it. I definitely had a different childhood, I think, with my mother actually passed away when I was 14. And so some of the stuff, projects I'm working on now are really kind of centered around helping people overcome PTSD, which later on, it ended up meshing with my military service. But when I was diagnosed with PTSD, when I was younger, it actually never, nobody had ever mentioned that terminology to me before. I had no idea what that was or what it meant. And so it was just kind of funny how my life turned out and I end up working with a lot of business owners who have overcome PTSD as well. So childhood was, you know, that was probably the most eventful thing. And then um, it shaped a lot of kind of h- how and why I started my own business, how and why I ended up in the military and all those things too. So, mm, Yeah, I, I would I would assume that. I definitely would assume that. Uh, it, normally when you go through 
I guess you could say when, when you lose a parent, especially at a young age, traumatic. Uh, when you go through something traumatic is that type of loss. I could totally see how it would shape how you are now and, and the journey to get there. Uh, so uh, hmm, I would actually want to keep there. Uh, during your high school life and not having that, uh, that stable presence of your mother in your life, how was it for you? Well, I think like typical of PTSD, if I look back now, I probably... I pretty much retreated back to where I didn't really want to make friends. And then the people who did pull me into, you know, different activities, like I had a core group of like five or six really close friends in high school where we did a lot together. We always, we, there was always something going on that we could get ourselves into, but um, probably I would say a lot of anger. I guess I was angry that like everyone else still had their mother in their life. And so there was a lot of times where I butted heads with friends because I just thought like, you know, the typical teenager complaining about your parents took on a different le- the thought process for me. I used to get really frustrated with teenagers that would complain about their mom or complain about, and some of them, you know, legitimately had tough, but you know, most of the time it was just really some teenager stuff. And I would be like, you know what? You're so freaking lucky that you have your family still together. Cause really my mom, I think it wasn't just her death. That was tough. It was the fact that she was really the family glue. Like she kept everyone together at holidays. She, she was like, kind of the non-licensed therapist in the family. So anybody that had stuff going on, they called her like, hey, my, you know, this is going on with my marriage. Like, what should I do? She really was the sounding board. I just remember her being on the phone for hours with different family members throughout the years, just helping them like work through stuff. And she was my sounding board. You know, obviously it was my mom, like anything that went on, she was always the person that I went to and she and I were probably the closest in our family. Even my dad's like, you know, I can't imagine how it affected you because you and mom were like really close compared to probably anyone else in the family. Um, just me because I was the oldest daughter. My sister was close to my mom too. She was just a little bit younger. She was 11. So she doesn't remember as much stuff. And she was able to be in the same school system, you know, her whole life. And I, we had bounced around a little bit. We were going to move to Florida and move back. And so we, I had gone to four different middle schools and it wasn't because they're military. It was my father really wanted to relocate, but in the process of that, it didn't work out how he thought. So we ended up having to move around a lot for a little bit, little couple years. Um, so anyway, her, you know, I think that's really the biggest thing, like me not feeling like a kid anymore, just being kind of a parent and not really understanding kids my age. I sort of didn't really seem to fit in anywhere because I was like the weird kid that lost her mom and nobody knew what to say to me about it, you know? So it makes things a little bit awkward. <laughs> well, yeah, I can imagine that. I, I can totally imagine that. Uh, you know, normally, yeah, the, the, the angst that you would have is a little different than the angst that, well, I hate to say normal, but I will put normal, normal teenagers have. You know, well, I mean, teenagers would like to say, ah, I don't want to be around my mother or father. And, and your thought process from ninth grade on was, hey, at least you have that worry or at least you have that complaint. I don't. So I totally get that. I totally get that. So how was your relationship with your father? <laughs> <laughs> There's a question that I love. Um, it was <laughs> it was tough, honestly, and it's it's really recently been a lot better um, over the past five years. I mean, he didn't even realize I joined the real army. 
like he thought like I was just in some kind of like pretend army club in college, I guess. And so, <laughs> so when I graduated, he came to my graduation. I'm like, well, there's a pin, like a pinning ceremony. And he's like, what is that? I'm like, well, I'm in the army. Like I'm getting pinned my rank on tonight. So like I'm officially reporting for duty after that. Like I'm going into my schools and everything and I'll be in Georgia and I'll be here. And I had already known what I was going to be doing. And he's like, what do you, well, like he did not get it until he came to like he's always been supportive of big milestones in my life and he cares about us a lot. But like what happened with my little, cause we were only a family of four. So after she died, he kind of, it became all about him losing his wife and like that trumped everything. And so as kids, my sister found a neighbor that kind of adopted her for lack of a better word. And she was there every day with their family. And then I kind of was older. So I just worked. My normal day was 7am school I went there really early. I would go to get a cup of coffee and I was like, you know, trying to be cool and smoke cigarettes in the morning. So I remember getting to school at 7 a.m., coffee and cigarettes, and then I would be at school till 2. I joined track and field to keep me out of my own head and keep me like busy. And so I would do track and field from 2.30 to 5. And then I worked a night job at a supermarket from 6 to 11.30. So I pretty much had a full day so that I wouldn't really be home. And I did that for years until I went into wow, college. Wow, that sounds like you became an adult long before you needed to. Good God. <laughs> I know. I'm learning how to like chill now, <laughs> <laughs> which is a weird process. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, I was, was going to say, yeah. Uh, and I may, I may circle back later with that question because that's a good one. Because I'm thinking, good mm-hmm. God, you had an entrepreneur type of mindset and schedule <laughs> as a teenager. Oh, God. oh my gosh. Insanity. Wow. So you're an athlete or were or was one. Okay. Uh, what events attracted you participate in doing? <laughs> I was like the world's worst athlete ever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like winded after the three mile warm up. So I don't know how good I was, but um, I did javelin, a uh, terrible shot put. I, w- I weighed like a hundred pounds soaking wet in high school. So I did shot put just for looks, I guess. And then <laughs> javelin, I wasn't too bad at and uh, discus. I wasn't too bad at, but I didn't, I didn't do any real running. I don't, I've been all right at sprinting, but I never tried out for the running team. I only did the uh, field events. It was fun. It was a good way. I just knew that if I did not do something physical activity wise, I was going to go to an ugly place. Even at that age, like I just knew like I had to keep myself busy all the time or I wouldn't be able. I just didn't I really didn't allow myself to process anything. And that's why I did sports. And later on in the army, it obviously helped me that I had that background because I wasn't afraid of working out and stuff. But at the time, it was literally just to keep to keep busy. There was no it was like the only sport where you didn't have to actually be really good. They would let you be on the team. So I did it for like three or three years, I think. All right. So, so the U S Olympic committee was not uh, knocking on your door. (laughs) No, (laughs) not even close. (laughs) Oh my. Uh, So you, so let me, let me see if I got this straight. You said you actually did attend college. Yep. I started out at University of Rhode Island. And then when I moved to Tennessee, I went to um, Austin Peay State University, which was right outside Fort Campbell. Yeah. Clarksville. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, hmm. 
did you think you were going to go in the military when you started uh, going to Rhode Island University, uh, University of Rhode Island? I'm sorry. No, I did not. I was actually dating someone at the time and he joined the army. And then we did the really brilliant thing of getting married before the age of 20. And so we moved down there together as like super young. He was a private. He went through basic right after graduation. And then um, we went to Fort Campbell together. And so I had to transfer to that school. It was the closest one. And then, um, yeah, really, we didn't know what the heck we were doing. And 9-11 happened right after that. So we got married in 2000. 9-11 happened while he was at work. And I was actually, I, I was writing for a newspaper at the time. I never wanted anything to do with the military, actually. Uh, so I, one of my assignments was to interview the ROTC team at my college because they had gotten this award as like number one ROTC in the United States. And um, so my editor said, hey, go interview them and find out what that means and, you know, who they are and what they do and make like a story out of it. So I went to interview them and they invited me to this barbecue, not the not the recruiters, but like the actual cadets were just like, oh, my gosh, you should totally come hang out with us because we I interviewed a whole bunch talked to a lot of them at the same time. And you could take that as an elective in PE to get credit. And they're like, yeah, it's totally easy. Just show up in the morning. We road march. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I started hanging out with them. And it just, I was like, you know what? You know, this is really actually a lot of fun. You're part of a team. Everybody's so great. And everyone there was prior enlisted. And they were, I think me and two other people had never been in the military before as cadets. Everyone else had already been in. So I thought it was also really good because they gave me insight onto like what I was walking into ahead of time. But yeah, I, w- I went down there not really knowing knowing anyone. And he ended up on orders and in the field a lot because of 9-11. So our marriage started out where we probably had, I would say, six months of actually being able to see each other every day. And then after that, it was pretty much never saw each other because he was gone. Then he was in 2003, he was in the first wave of army to go um, after the Marines. So <clears throat> he was gone for a while. Yeah, that, uh, hmm. yeah, that, that's a, that's a tough existence. Mm, yeah. I, mean, I <laughs> yeah. was in the military, but I didn't have a spouse while I was in, but yeah, I, I but I would, see so many yeah it's so many go through that juggling act of you know i have i have my family i have my children i'm a wife or husband but uh, i'm being called elsewhere and and you would see with some of these relationships it would actually be a a harsh point of tension for them and i i could totally understand that i mean you're you're separated and through really mm-hmm. no fault of any anybody but you're separated and it's hard to it's hard to build something solid together when one person's here and the other person is roughly 4000 miles away so yeah i totally get that yeah and i think i wasn't so much mad that he was gone i'm a pretty independent person like even you know in like in my younger time but i just i felt like well when he came back from iraq is really when it wasn't good because we just kind of we'd been doing our own thing for so long. We really didn't know each other and we didn't know how to come back together as a couple. And he was a medic and, uh, you know, he had access to prescription drugs and um, he had, you know, that in high school, that was something he dealt with was a lot of, you know, we, when you're in high school, you're innocent and, you know, smoking a little pot doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And then when you get a little bit older, you really realize how much, you know, those that the drugs had influenced you or not. And so I think he struggled with that because he quit everything to join the army and he was totally clean for, 
years. And then I think the stress of being overseas in a combat zone, a lot of things happened in the very beginning that were a little bit crazy. And that was his first time really, you know, going through a lot of things that I didn't even understand. And I hadn't even healed over my own PTSD stuff. I never dealt with it. I just swept everything under the rug and worked. And so when we moved to Tennessee, I didn't have a job and I didn't have anything. So all the things I never dealt with kind of came emotionally crashing down. Then I was alone and he came home and I was not any help because, you know, he's suffering. I'm suffering. We don't know how to help each other. It was just a mixture of disaster. So I moved out because, you know, he would like, as soon as he got home, all his guy friends would just always be at our house. And I was still trying to graduate college. So I ended up moving out with a roommate who was in ROTC with me just so I could kind of clear my head. And we just never got back together. He moved back to Rhode Island without really giving me any notice, had all our stuff in U-Haul and he was gone. So it was a really crazy time for me. And I just, but it was better, you know, everything worked out for the best. He's doing really good now. Um, He's still back home and remarried, has a great wife from what I hear. So I'm very glad for that. But for our, you know, we were just too young. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. The one thing I've learned just in my own marriage, uh, let alone the marriage I saw with my, my parents is that it is not for the fainted heart and it is not for the immature. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> true. Both yeah. very true. Yeah, so I, I totally get if, because, heck, I mean, 1920, yeah, marriage was the last thing on my mind. So I totally would understand how it would be uh, like a, a foreign thing for either one of you to go through it at such a young age. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Totally. So you said that you moved to... Uh, for Campbell slash Clarksville. Mm-hmm. And I'm somewhat familiar with that. I, I live in Nashville, which is about an hour away. Nice. Yeah. And you said you went to Austin P. So explain how it felt. And, and my actually learning something new too. I never knew colleges had ROTCs. I knew high schools did, <laughs> but I never knew colleges did. So how was that experience for you? That was good. I actually, that was probably some of the most fun years I've ever had. I mean, we had... Well, think about like a whole bunch of college kids partying, all former NCOs in the in the army. And then you have actual, like all my husband's friends at the time, like actually still in the army, all NCOs. And we're all just going out together all the time. So it was a little bit too much fun, I think sometimes. But, you know, when they were home, it was like party central, just so much trouble to get into. But ROTC itself was really good. It actually helped me... Um, it gave me like a purpose and a career path because I wanted to be a journalist for so long. My degree was in journalism. That was, you know, what I was going to do. And I wanted to write and I wanted to go on crazy assignments and travel. And um, journalists don't make a lot of money is what I found out. And (laughs) so I was super happy when I was like, okay, I'm going to at least go in the military and see what happens after that. You know, at least do that for a few years. And then, um, keep some kind of a, because I did Army Reserve is what I actually chose because I wanted to have public affairs be my um, my branch. So I, you can't, as a, as a uh, what you call it, active duty cannot go into public affairs until you're a captain or above. And I didn't want to wait that long. So they had me go to the schooling early. So Army Reserve and National Guard can actually go to public affairs school immediately. They don't have to wait. And so, um that was actually really what why I wanted to join in the first place. And so I just got guaranteed 
because at the time when 9-11 happened, everything was ramping up. So it was all this opportunity for reserves to get every active duty school that we could get our hands on. So they sent me to Signal Corps school as my basic branch. And then they sent me to public affairs school directly after that. So it was like about eight months of training altogether. Mm. Uh, So you were actually commissioned. Ah, this is going to be really yeah. interesting. Cool. See, I have, I have never, <laughs> well, I mean, I have, of course I have in the military met, but I have never talked to with a person out of the military, never talked to someone who was commissioned straight off the bat. So how was it to be, uh, how was it to be a commissioned officer as soon as you set foot into your journey into uh, the military? I think that it's, Honestly, I always, I never understood the big thing with that because I wasn't around military growing up. So I didn't really get it. Like there were so many people, oh, you're an officer. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what, like, what's the big deal? And I didn't realize like there are some people that are officers in the military that really think highly of themselves, like beyond just anything I've ever come across. And so, well, right. But I didn't have that perspective. So I'm just like, why do people keep saying that to me? I was so confused for like the first two years. I'm like, I don't get what the big deal is. I'm like supposed to be in charge of this stuff and I'm in charge of this stuff. You're enlisted, but you're in charge of this stuff. So to me, I just felt like a supervisor, which I had already been a supervisor in other jobs. You know, when I worked at a supermarket, when I was in high school, I was a supervisor the last two years I worked there. So I, I had been used to just being in that role before even really young with people like way older than me under like that I had to um, write their schedules for and stuff. So I, I never thought of it as anything more than just a supervisor job, but I quickly realized, especially when I worked with active duty, when I was with the third infantry division in Iraq, I was like, wow, I get the whole thing now of officer enlisted and the weird tension there can be. Cause I not, I just had no clue. I was honestly like, open-minded and I don't get why you guys are so weird around me. Like we're just working on, (laughs) we're working on our job together. It was foreign concept. I, I was the most clueless person. Everyone's like, were you enlisted before? I'm like, no. And then I would get that. Like I would either get, Oh, you're an officer or, Oh, were you enlisted before? It was those two things. So I, I'm just myself. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I, I do have to say when uh, in my time, I actually did enjoy being around uh, lieutenants and captains. I enjoyed them because for some <laughs> reason, they had the similar mentality as you. Uh, they, they, they weren't they, they 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 weren't quite as jaded in the military style of living. Yep. And it, it was it was rather refreshing to see them. Now, of course, I did run into some some officers in the lower portion of the, of the chain that was off the chain. Uh, yep. the, <laughs> the, the CO of my basic training was absolutely crazy. Uh, I won't oh. go, I won't go into it here. Yeah. He, he was just horrible. That's awful. Yeah. He was, I hate he, those stories so yeah, much. Was, I'm like, yeah, he was horrible. <laughs> I've been to, yeah. And even in my training, like you can tell who the ones are that are going to be a little tough to work with. Like mm-hmm. even when we're in officer school together, I'm like, I'm going to pray for your future soldiers right now because I don't know I don't know what's going to happen to you when you go in. So uh, where did your military journey and you did say army. Uh where did your military journey take you? Um I started out in Nashville actually. There was um, a mobile public affairs detachment in Nashville. Um I was only there really as a cadet and then after my Cause my, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot to go back to in Clarksville. I didn't have family there. 
we had some great friends there, but I just, you know, he moved back to the East Coast. We were divorcing. So I just kind of thought, well, you know, I started fresh and just thought when I was in actually um, public affairs school, I met a guy who had grown up in Los Angeles and he's like, your personality is so West Coast. Like you should try moving out there. And I said, well, I don't want to live in LA. I might try out San Diego, you know, and see how that is. And so in 2006, after all um, my training was done, I requested a transfer to a public affairs unit that was in Los Angeles, but I could obviously live wherever. As long as I get my butt to drill on weekends, I could live in San Diego. Um, And I had friends in San Diego from back East. So I was kind of excited about that and they helped me get my first job. So I, um, one of my friends growing up, she worked at Petco corporate and she said, Hey, there's a communications job open. Your degree is communications. You know, I know it's not journalism, but it's a corporate level job. You could learn something and maybe go back into journalism. If you want to just get you some money, you know, while you're still figuring things out. And I was like, okay. So I went on the interview and a week later they offered me the job. And so it was, you know, my first big girl job was Petco corporate. And then I went on to drill in Los Angeles. And even going into that unit, they said, you know, we're on orders to deploy to Iraq, just so you know. And I said, I don't care. I want to go. So they put me in the unit. I went overseas for a year. It ended up being 18 month rotation because she brought me on orders as kind of like an advance party to get the unit out the door and do all the paperwork that you have to do and the admin crap. And then, so I started my deployment three months before the rest of the unit. And then we went to our like uh, deployment training in New Jersey, Fort Dix, New Jersey in February. And we left stateside, like I think April, it was not a long time. It was like 30 or 45 days in, in New Jersey. And then we were, went straight over and then once we were there, we were with 3rd Infantry. Well, we started out with a sustainment support command, but that didn't last long. They ended up splitting our unit in half and sending half of us to 3rd Infantry Division so that we would be supporting the main, like they had a lot of public affairs people down there. General Lynch was the uh, three-star commander. And so he requested additional public affairs assets. So they just cut my unit in half and sent me and my, some of my team, a mixture of the two teams down there. So yeah, we ended up in Southeast Baghdad um, during the surge when they were going into all the villages and stuff down in the Yusufia area. Ooh, wow. Mm. And now I will circle back to the uh, PTSD question because I would, I would assume Mm -hmm. that in going into a hostile area or hostile territory uh, that a lot of, a lot of those types of things would trigger you. So uh, was it then that you fully came to grips that you, that you had PTSD or did you have an idea before, but you you just put it off and say, eh, it's just something that just comes and goes. I think the biggest thing that came out during my deployment was just my inability to shut my mouth. Like I was so angry, like all that anger and rage from when I was in high school, like anytime a stressful situation would happen, I would just get angry all over again. And so I was the a-hole that, you know, if something didn't seem right to me or I thought something was effed up, I would just say it. And so 
I was not well liked um, by the end of that deployment by my supervisors. And a couple of my soldiers got mad at me because I was trying to fix a problem that they came to me with. And I did not get the memo. They just wanted me to listen. So I'm out there trying to fix it, you know, and then on the back end, the people above me are making their life a living hell. And I, I didn't know that. So I, by the end of that deployment, I was probably like everyone's least favorite. But it was definitely, I attribute all that to my PTSD because I never dealt with it. And I was just like a raging, anything that seemed not right, not okay, like people treating my soldiers badly. And I wasn't there to like defend them or situations happening that were just causing like really bad like morale. I was always like, on like oh, way too interested in fixing it. And it, a lot of those things weren't really my problem to deal with. I was butting my nose where it shouldn't be, but it was just one of those things. I was just angry, like angry at a whole lot of stuff because when I deployed, it was like, I realized what my ex-husband had gone through and it finally clicked. Like these are the things he was experiencing. I'm where I'm here now where he was years ago. And so, you know, it was like six, seven years later, I'm in the same country. Not, not, I mean, I'm with an infantry unit. I'm obviously not knocking doors down on public affairs for crying out loud. So I was writing about what they're doing, but I wasn't with them. But I, you know, all the stories and I could see other people who were in zombie mode, who this is their third rotation. You know, they were there in 03. Then they were there again in like 05. And then again in 07 when I'm there, and I'm like, dang, like I could spot anybody a mile away who was dealing with PTSD. I could pick them out in a crowd. I still can because it's like I was that zombie, you know, and I had kind of started to get out of it, but that rage was still there. So I was just not fun person to deal with. Like I would avoid conflict, but I would be pissed and I would like handle things really in a crappy way. So I tried really hard to focus on the mission that we had and getting getting press releases written and getting briefings done for the, you know, the commanding officer and just all the little things to check the block. I did just like in high school when I filled my calendar with, I was on that computer all day. The first sergeant literally <laughs> dumped a big box of golf balls on my head one day. Cause he's like, you work too much. Like oh, gosh. he comes in, he just like, and I'm like, seriously, first sergeant, he's like, get off the desk. We're taking you to go do something. And I'm like, on base, what is there to do? He goes, I don't know. We're going to start with coffee, but you have to take a break. <laughs> so I, you know, I did the same thing. I went back to my old habits, workaholic, 16 hours easily, no problem. I could sit at a computer and work for 16 hours straight. It, was, it didn't affect me whatsoever. So um, that was, yeah, that was the biggest struggle, um, I think, was just reverting back to the old coping mechanisms of stress and being the only female on my team was stressful too. You know, my boss was a major, he was infantry his whole career. They stuck him in PAO because they didn't know what to do with them. And that's what they basically told me. And so he was also angry that he had to be in that position. He didn't like it. Um, and then not my guys, reserve guys were put in the team with the active duty guys. And so it was me. And then my, my boss ended up being on emergency leave like twice. So I was pretty much the only supervisor for my team. And I was like a first lieutenant at that point, never been on active duty. So it was like all these things against me. And then I have to deal with my own units, chain of command who handled some things really crazy and, you know, trying to juggle all that, then being like super pissed off half the time. It just... You know, if I had to do it over again, I probably would have handled a lot of things a lot differently. You know, I learned 
a lot, like reflecting back on it. Came home and I just pretty much drank every day. I drank a lot. I gained like 15, 20 pounds. Like a month after I was home, I was just pretty much drinking the whole time. And so, yeah, it was, it was different. I mean, it wasn't like it was for me, the deployment itself wasn't stressful. It was interpersonal relationships because I'd learned to shut down and not be around people. But when you're in deployment, you can't be alone. There's no freaking privacy. So my normal retreat into my own world and do my own thing and just keep my crap to myself and not vent everywhere. I, I didn't have the ability to do that. I just crapped all over anyone that would listen to me. I would just spew out all my frustrations and it's not healthy to be like that. So, you know, now looking back, I'm like, God, what a ding dong I was. I was such a pain in the but you know, you'll have to walk through things, you know, when it's your time to walk through it and then just learn from it, not do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how many things, not just not just a key thing or the key thing, but just how many other things gets unearthed when we're put in stressful situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and I think what I've discovered too is when you go through those situations, it always seems to bring you back to something that happened years before, if not around childhood. Yep, where it's like okay. I'm this way. I am. I am angst. I'm. 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 I'm, I'm angst written and angry and frustrated and upset and I'm lashing out and everybody. Why? And it is all. And for some reason, when someone gets talking to you, oh, it's this incident that happened when I was uh, riding a bike and this this person decided to push me off of it, or uh, when I was when I was in the pool swimming and someone decided to keep me down and, and, and try to force you to drown or, or some type of traumatic e- event. Yep. That would, if you talk some, talk to somebody long enough, it's like, okay, so the, so the focal point of my anger is here. And, yeah. and it's amazing when, when you finally look at it and when now you've had years to be distant from that, <laughs> from that deployment. <laughs> yeah. And you can see it all. It's almost as if, wow, man, if I had the, if I had the 2020 vision of that, then mm-hmm. man, like you said, uh, I would do a whole lot of things differently. Yep. So, yeah. I totally get that. I totally get that. So what, Hmm. In, in your time in the military, uh, talk about one good thing that happened to you. Um, I think, I mean, and honestly, um, this is such a funny one, but I think my bronze star medal actually for me was uh, something I felt really proud of only because I did handle a lot of stuff wrong. But for some reason, my, the person that we were under, he did not allow people that had a lower rank than captain to receive any kind of bronze star medal. Like if you were actually majors, majors and above, he felt warranted. And I don't know what his rationale was for this. Um, But he said, you know, he'll never give a bronze star to somebody below the the rank of major, especially someone that isn't going to be kicking down doors and, you know, or has like some kind of really crazy story, like for leadership. Obviously I don't have a bronze star for valor, but I have for leadership, but I guess is what I'm saying. 
And so when I went through this whole thing, like for me being only man, only woman on a whole team, I had a lot, I, have, I had other officers that were higher ranking than me in that unit. Um, one guy didn't do his job and uh, it got found out through a series of emails and stuff, which really weren't even in my control. Uh, he threatened to kill me because I guess the commander found out that he didn't book a flight he was supposed to book, but I didn't even tell him. I, it was like a third, like all this crazy stuff happened. I had been, I've been threatened. Um, I had people harass me, like follow me to the you know, showers, other officers like saying really weird things to me. I had nobody from my unit there other than the people that were under me, like my, um, the reserve unit guys that were there that I knew from my unit. Some of us, we were, they were already down there first and then they sent me down. So just like through all the crap that happened that were just, nothing was combat related that was stressful. It was all interpersonal crap. And then having to figure out how to take a public affairs shop that was producing very little. And it wasn't the soldier's fault. They were producing a lot of stuff. It was their boss wasn't really looking at it or sending it to anyone. So everyone at, at division thought no, nobody was working <laughs> at all. So when I finally realized what was happening, I was able to help, you know, in some way. And I took a shop that was doing nothing to doing like more than any other shop. We had more reporters in our AO. We had more one-on-one -on -one interviews. We had just like everything because we had amazing soldiers, but they were being kind of like tucked in a corner and not, they weren't being allowed to do anything. And it was frustrating to see. So I felt like that was an award that I did never anticipated. Like I actually was in shock. I'm like, I said, I don't deserve this. Like my boss had asked me to put every single person on our team in for a bronze star. So I did what he asked me to do. I had no, I was even clueless as far as what to gauge. Cause in the reserves, you never really like, I don't know. It was reserve status. So like this was my first deployment, first time working with active duty and they have their own internal thought process and every division's different from what I heard you know, and every leadership is different on as far as what they consider to give out. And I just knew Colonel Farrell was like, I'm not, you know, this is my role. I don't give this out. So it was like me and one other lieutenant got a bronze star, which was surprising. But I guess when I saw the write-up, it made sense what his thought process was. But I was almost like afraid to receive it because my boss was super not happy. And so the backlash from that. So anyway, I guess... It was a really good, positive moment for me looking back. At the time, I was like afraid to even receive the award in front of everybody because I felt like I didn't deserve it. Um, but yeah, now now everybody's like, you need to put that on your resume because it's good. But it took me five years to even put it on my resume, to put it on my LinkedIn account. Like I didn't tell anyone about it. Hey, all right. So you talked about your own business. So I, I see two things about your business. One is a consulting uh, company. Mm -hmm. And I see that you also are a co-author. So, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So ex <laughs> explain to me those two journeys. Um. So the co. Well, okay. So I started my own business in 2009, doing pretty much anything anyone would pay me to do, and it came to marketing. <laughs> and then I. So my company back then was called Stars and Stripes Marketing. It started in 2009. And we were like, what do you need? Website? Great. We can do that. Social media? We can do that. You know, we can do graphic design work for you. Branding? Sure. Like, we just literally did whatever. And I thought then for sure I was going to have a full service agency forever and ever. And we're going to have this huge team. And God has a way of giving you other plans in the meantime. But I, um, 
so I just I did that for a while, and then a couple of years ago I rebranded um, as just consulting because I just realized that the agency lifestyle is not what I wanted for me or my family. Like I just wanted to, I really wanted to consult in very specific areas, and um, I started only offering social media. And every time I would get a new social media client, inevitably we're looking at their website and we ended up having to rebrand some of clients because as a lot of people who do digital marketing know, if you're running Facebook ads to somebody's website and their website isn't converting clients, it doesn't matter how amazing your Facebook ads are, like their website or even if you have a really amazing landing page, that landing page might be to a free webinar and you're not actually converting anyone. So if they're not... their website is actually kind of like their storefront, which we all know now. I mean, 10 years ago, things were different. But when you look at now, it's just so crucial that people can see like who you are and what you do and focusing in on one thing that you're really strong at is probably the best way to go for anybody. And so I ended up realizing through offering social media service that I wasn't in love with executing social media for other people. And I loved the branding part more than the actual core services that I was doing. So I even trimmed it down a little bit more and just relaunched. Actually, last week, I launched my newest website, which is only branding instead of trying to do the branding and then the add-on of the social media, you know, ongoing. So, um, that's kind of what I do now. So I have a program where people come to me, they need to rebrand their business um, and they want help doing that. And we do a 30 day turnaround. Like I interview them and we do a really two hour, like deep dive phone call. 30 days later, they have all of their marketing materials done, logo design done, color scheme, website, like the whole nine yards is packaged for them. And that way they can get on board with selling, you know, right away. And they don't have to wait six months to get everything done. And then if you're a beginner startup, which I know they don't always have the money that I charge for that accelerated process, they can do a coaching. It may take a little longer, but I will coach them through the process. And that one's a little bit lower price point, but they can, I tell them what they need to be doing and then they can work on getting that done however they want to get it done. And I can give them, yeah, I give people tips on how to do that, you know, how to set up their hosting for WordPress and stuff. Um, But I don't actually physically do it for them. But I give them like all the tools to get it done on their own and templates and things like that. So that's really, it's branding because everything kind of leads into your core service offering and your branding at the end of the day. And we want people to really showcase who they are and what they do. Um, and really I prefer working with people that actually have like a service business over product. I can do product too, but service businesses, I mean, it's such a personal thing when you're working with someone one-on-one, they really need to identify with the person they're hiring. So they feel comfortable because you're handing your business over to somebody to help you and you really need to trust them. So, um, that's what I do now after all that years of experimenting. That's my main focus nowadays is branding. Um, and the Behind the Rank book came out of a client of mine, Heroes Media Group, who I worked with for a long time doing social media and helping them with uh, their stuff. They have a – Heroes Media Group is actually a podcast network for uh, military um, and first responders and stuff. And they, they're actually looking for faith-based shows uh, right now. So um, anyway, long story short, they were a client of mine for two years. Um, 
and he got a show called Camouflage Sisters with Lila Holly. So I'm, I was doing social media, so I'm making graphics for, for that. And I'm like, what's up with this show? And he goes, oh my gosh, you need to meet Lila. She's amazing. So Lila and I talked and she featured me in her first magazine. And then I was on her podcast, I think a couple times. And then she's like, hey, we're doing this book. Oh, sorry about that. I hope it didn't. So she told me about the Behind the Rank book, which was 30 women uh, coming together, women veterans who wanted to tell their stories. And so I said, yeah, I would definitely do it. And honestly, um, you basically pay $150 and you get a chance to write a thousand words and contribute. And um, there have been some people that don't think you should have to pay to be part of something like this. But I think, I think you should. I mean, it's you're supporting her overall mission of getting female veteran stories out there into the marketplace, which I think is totally underserved. There's just not a lot of women telling their stories all the time. A lot of us just try to blend into everyday stuff. And this really shines a light on it. And every single woman in this book actually has a different story. And a lot of them don't even talk about their military service as the focal point. A lot of some women have talked about their relationships, their, um, you know, dealing with really ter- hard uh, breakups or having family problems and how that related to their experience in the military. So um, it's really, all the stories are super simple reads. They're, like I said, a thousand words each. Um, and I mean, people talk about their points of revelation where they were like, wow, you know, I've been leaving a really messed up life. I need to fix it. Um, but there's a mixture of people who are Christian and who are not. There's a mixture of, you know, focusing only on their military service and that's it in their story. So I loved being a part of it. She did such a great job organizing, you know, you do a series of phone calls with the team and they edit everything for you. So you, they make you sound really good (laughs) and they tell you, you know, what, what doesn't make sense or what could be changed to sound better. And it was a seamless process. And I think it's, it's totally worth investing in something like that, especially if you plan to write additional books because it kind of warms you up to the whole process of writing and editing and being part of a book. Um, Cause a thousand words really isn't that, that much. It's like two pages. And so it, it'll help warm you up if you do want to write more about your story or for your own business. I, I do plan to write another book. And so this kind of gave me the little push I needed to, to really start writing again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know how, how passionate you are about writing. So I guess this is a, this is a good vehicle. Uh, and wow. I mean, the fact that you help with branding, that's, uh, that's a good feather in cap for sure. Wow. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, one more thing I have to ask. So you are a consultant, you do branding, you, you put paper to pen. You also are a podcast co-host or were you? I have been known to pop onto people's podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I've been a co-host on heroes media group before uh, for the decision hour podcast. I was running a podcast called the marketplace minute. It was actually for a co-working space out here in Goodyear. And I'm going to be changing the name of that and probably relaunching it in a few months. We had to shut down the um, co-working space, which was completely 
out of our hands. It had to do with the, the landlord, but um, we had a lot of fun. There's a lot of local businesses out here where I am who we were able to interview and feature um, not military related, just like a small business podcast. And so I'm going to have a new one called zero BS business podcast. And we're just going to talk about people's journeys, um, why they even started their business, what were their struggles in starting, you know, that will probably relaunch. We'll be looking for people to interview for that for sure. Um, in the next couple of months, we'll want to book everybody out ahead of time, but yeah, I love podcasting. I think it's a fantastic way for people to get used to doing media interviews. I always recommend that to my clients. When they're like, you know, I really want to get media and I know you used to work in the media. I'm like, yeah, go on podcasts, tell your story, get your messaging down, learn what kind of questions people are going to ask you. And I love this type of format that we're on today because it's free flowing and conversational and it gets people used to, you know, getting asked questions about themselves and them not, they don't have to be as nervous, you know? So I, I love I love everything about podcasting. I think it's a great way to get your word out there about what yeah, you do. I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree, agree with that. And yeah, I definitely can hear in your voice that uh, this medium, yeah, it will welcome you because <laughs> you you have a wonderful story and you have a great voice to match. So it it's a perfect fit for you. So that's exciting. It's exciting. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. I mean, I could, I could continue this conversation for hours on end. Uh, but I know that you are a busy woman. Uh, I did say that you're an entrepreneur. So that's obvious. Uh, but in cutting this short, I still have to ask these questions before I let you go. Now, in all of your life, mm-hmm. what would you say has been your greatest lesson learned or biggest regret? Um, hmm. you have to do an either or, huh? Um, I think my biggest lesson learned would be to deal with anything emotionally or otherwise immediately while it's happening and not let things fester. Um, if something, if somebody wrongs you, forgive them right away. If somebody, you know, uh, or if something happens to you that's beyond your control, maybe a car accident, loss of a loved one, or you get a crazy diagnosis, you know, health-wise, or don't just try to shove all those feelings into your pocket and walk away and just keep on moving on like nothing's going on. Because um, the elephant in the room, he just follows you around <laughs> until you deal with him. So I would say, you know, and if they, if you don't have some spiritual outlet that it works for you, find just don't stop until you find what that is and find how to heal and how to work through stuff because it doesn't, every decision you make in your life stems from that. You're, you're never going to operate out of a place of healthy until you work through anything that happens to you. And not only do you do yourself a disservice, but you do your loved ones a disservice and you will never ever be able to like, you can cause more problems (laughs) for yourself later on. So I would say, Deal with traumatic events, negative events very quickly, but don't stay in that place and then figure out, you know, okay, once I work through this and I'm going to really make it a point to work through this and feel everything I need to feel, then, okay, what am I going to do now? What's my purpose that God put me here to do and how do I do that? You know, and ask, I ask him what to do every day with my business, with my purpose and how do I how do I do that more of what he wants me to be doing? So 
that's what I, my biggest life lesson. I would, I wouldn't let things sit anymore. And I much more direct in my conversations with my family and my friends because of it. Amen to that. Yes, I agree 100% with you on that. Uh, flipping the coin here. Outside of, of course, the greatest accomplishment ever, which is giving your life to Christ. What has been your greatest accomplishment? Hmm. I would say my daughter. I know it's a, she's just the best. I would say she's probably, I mean, she's only seven, but she's just so full of joy. And I try to never never change how that like I just feel like when I was a kid I wasn't always able to be free to be a kid and I just want her to stay joyful and like a kid as long as possible because you only get that childhood one time and it's been for me eye-opening to see even more places that I need to work on you know as a parent you start to see a reflection of you and so it's really been a fun journey being a mom and um not that I am an, like, she's not my accomplishment, but just me not messing her up yet. <laughs> it's an accomplishment for me. So I feel like for right now, she's the best thing in my life. And she's just the funniest, most happy person. She knows how to put a smile on anyone's face. And kids will do that if you let them just be who they are. Now, this is the time of the show where I normally just roll out the red carpet and lay out. So whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, it doesn't matter. Right now, I cede the floor to you. The floor is yours. Um, I guess what I w- who I would want to talk to in my final comments would be women who want to start their own businesses. Um, I just meet so many women who have been afraid to step out and, and really live their own truth and like step into what they've really been called to do. If you have it on your heart to start your own business, I just encourage you to start with something. If that means researching the industry that you want to work in, who your target market would be, just start reading articles about people who own their own businesses, who work in the space that you want to work in. Um, Almost any service or product can be turned into a business, pretty much. Anything that you absolutely love can pretty much be monetized in some way. And a lot of you are sitting on some pretty incredible stories that could even be turned into books, speaking platforms, and other types of businesses that you may not even thought of yet. So I just want to encourage people, no matter what your past has been, no matter the mistakes that you've made in your life, the things you've walked through that weren't so pretty that you probably wouldn't want anyone to know about, those same things that you want to probably tuck under the rug and pretend it was somebody else's story. (laughs) Those things, you know, are going to probably be the things that you can actually use to launch yourself into a new career as a business owner. So if you've just been, if that's kind of been on your mind for a really long time and you haven't taken any action, I meet people all the time like that. They have full-time jobs they're so busy, they cannot ever see themselves doing anything else because they have no time. We all have 24 hours in a day. There are people who make so much money in this lifetime, and there are people who dream about making so much money in this lifetime. And money unlocks a lot of things. You can help other people, pour into other people when you do have um, 
the blessing of a really amazing business. And so I just want to encourage women who are listening, men too, if that's your, you know, I know my audience is a lot of women that listen to me and that are on my social media channels and who I communicate with the most on a weekly basis. Um, but anyone listening, if you've been really on the fence about it, get started in some way. It can be small, but every day be researching things. And then one day you'll nail what it is that you want to do and nobody will ever be able to stop you because you'll be so on fire about that one idea that you'll just want to be executing it. You'll just, you won't, nothing will get in your way because you'll have found the one thing that you know that you need to be doing and it comes from your gut. But I think so many people disqualify themselves. They tell themselves they don't have time. They tell themselves, well, no one's going to pay me to do that. And stop with the negative voices, cancel all of that and just focus on what it is that you know that your purpose is and what that business idea is that you really want to do because there's somebody on the other end who needs what you have and they need that thing that you're good at and you're doing a disservice to them by not launching that business. So I just wanted to share like, don't, don't let any mindset things from the past stop you from launching. Ooh, that mic is hot. I can, Oh man. You heard the nuggets right there that was dropped just in that little bit of time. Wow. Yeah, I I, I 100% agree with that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this was a pleasure. I really enjoyed myself with this one. Uh, Veteran, branding consultant, author, as you can hear, wonderful speaker, (laughs) and a media expert as well, Karen Ariola, Karen, Kaylin Ariola. AKA Kaylin Marie. Kaylin, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful thing when you have someone who cares about people, who has an itch and a love to make sure that other people's stuff, whether it's a business, a life, or whatever have you, runs the way it should. When you you see people like that, it gives you a bigger purpose to want to push them out there and show the world there are people out there who want to see you succeed and they may not be a blood relation to you, but they just want to see a good person succeed. The word says, as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. This woman has done good all throughout her time in the military and now her time of helping people now and making sure their businesses are out there in front of the right people who need to see it. And hopefully there will be new eyes and new ears and new hearts who will come to accept her and her service and do more than just thank her for serving for our country. But they'll thank her for serving humanity many thanks to Kaylin and you can check her out on KaylinMarie.com and you have all the details listed in the show notes for changing the world one conversation at a time I am Cole Johnson and this has been Revelations For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O, and milehighradio.com, spelled M-I-L-E-H-I-R-A-D-I-O. Every Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Pacific.